Welcome to episode 48 of Paper Talk, a monthly series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the field of hand paper making and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert Studio, a hand paper making studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper, featuring stories about people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper. Sign up at helenhebertstudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about my online classes, workshops, how-to books, and the annual Red Cliff Paper Retreat, and my new papermaking masterclass, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can sign up at helenhebertstudio.com. Today I'm talking with Jana Willoughby-Lore of Papercraft Miracles, an eco-friendly handmade paper company in Buffalo, New York. We chat about how life can throw you a curveball, and you can choose how to react. This quote from Jana's Instagram will give you an inkling about how she reacts. This is your Sunday evening reminder that you can handle whatever this week throws at you. We talk about Jana's handmade paper stationery products that include custom wedding invitations, seed bombs, paper flowers, and planning tools, and how she is shaping her business. She's the recipient of the prestigious Ignite Buffalo Grant and was recently recognized as one of the Stationery Trends magazine's 40 Under 40 for stationery and gifts. Jana is also a musician and a poet and the mother of two little boys, and her energy is infectious. What we do is so weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the main, the main selling point of what we do is me. Like I get so excited about it. It's so obvious that like I, I love to do this. Enjoy our conversation. Jana Willoughby-Lore, welcome to Paper Talk. I'm so excited to get to know you. I'm super excited to get to know you. Yeah. I have all your books. Oh, well, great. Um, yeah, so it seems from what I've read about you, we have never met in person, but it's lovely to see you while we're talking, um, that you've been creative forever. Is that true? Yeah, pretty much forever. Uh-huh. Band-Aid murals when I was like three years old. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. <laughs> And yeah, I read let I read something about you being surprised at your first day of kindergarten about it was oh. an art story. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first day of kindergarten, I'd already been writing poetry and you know whatever for a, a while. By the time I went to kindergarten, and they um, I got there in the first day, and they wanted me to color a dinosaur, <laughs> and I got home and I was like, "Mom, kindergarten is boring." Like. Mm-hmm. I can't do this all day. So I want to do other things. And she told me, do it because you can, not because anyone's going to make you. And I was like, okay. And she said, if you're bored, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> and both of those things really just kind of stuck with me my whole life. So um, it's great advice for school in general. Just you know, yeah. do it because you're able to, because there's a lot of people who aren't able to do things. Um, so, right, right. And I'm of, curious whether you, whether you colored in the lines or did you do something really different? Do you remember? Um, probably don't remember. I, I colored in the dinosaur, but then I probably also like made four or five other pictures. Right, right. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. I, I've always been a little extra, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> a little extra. Cool. Yeah. What was your first experience with paper? Was that, did you work with paper as a youngster? Oh, definitely. Um, I always did, um, made little books and, um, collages and stuff like that. Magazine collages. My mom was a collage artist and a rubber stamp artist. So we had rubber stamps and a little mini gucko screen print press at the house and just tons of stuff like that. So I was always making little pieces of art and making my own folders for school and my own decorating all my notebooks and stuff like that too. And my walls in my bedroom was like uh-huh. a ginormous, the whole thing is a ginormous collage, mostly pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. And, um, 
And how did you end up at Warren Wilson College? I know, I don't know a lot about the school, but I know that recently they've added, a, I think they're the only school with an MFA in craft or craft theory or something. Not that you studied that, but tell me how you got there. Yeah. Um, so after I took my SATs and put that I liked creative writing, you know, the colleges start sending tons of different brochures from right. all the different schools and um, Warren Wilson sent their brochure, but then they also sent a thing saying that they had this creative writing scholarship and my mom saw it in the mail and she's like, you should totally apply to this school. And she showed me the brochure, but it was really out of date and everybody had like giant Coke bottle glasses. And I was like, mom, these people are nerds. Like I can't go there. And she, she was like, no, just check it out. Like read about the school, ignore the pictures. They're old, you know, look, you know, look through the, what it says about the school. And she's like, you should apply for this writing scholarship. Your poems are really good. And I was like, yeah, whatever, typical teenager. And mm -hmm. I was like, you pick the ones you think are the best ones and you send them. Like, you, you know, which ones are good. I don't know, whatever. And she did. And she sent them out and I won the scholarship. And because I won that and they, it was all, you know, everything else they had was like need-based scholarships and grants and merit, stuff like that. So it ended up being cheaper for me to move from Buffalo to North Carolina and go to school at a private school and live on campus than right. it would have been to stay home and go to UB here and take a bus every day and like live at home. So oh, went. Right. Wow. I went halfway across the country to a place I'd never seen before. Right. So you didn't even visit. Um, I told them I would, I told them I would go before I had seen it, but I, then I did uh -huh. visit once before I actually went there, but I'd already committed to going there. So, right. It's the coolest place. Like yeah. Asheville is amazing. Like there's so much mica in the soil that like the ground glitters everywhere. And I was like, this is my place. Like, this uh -huh. is like a sparkly wonderland. Like <laughs> I want to do this all day. So. Right, right. And so um, do they have self-designed majors or it sounds like you sort of self-designed your program? Did yeah, I so my first year, um, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to major in. I just knew that I really liked writing and performing. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I want to make stuff. So I started looking through the course catalog and they had all these paper making and book binding classes and I wanted to get into them but there were mostly like upperclassmen levels that could get into them. So I went and I talked to the teacher that taught all of those. And I was like, I'm super interested in this. Like, here's a little book that I made over the summer. You know, I want to do this. And she said, we have this class called artist books and illustration. And she's like, I wouldn't even bother taking the book binding one because everything you learn in there, you learn in this class, but you also learn how to illustrate at the same time. Oh. So take that one. So I took that and then um, the second semester I got into the first paper making class, paper making one. And between the two of those, I was like, this is exactly what I want to do because I can do the writing stuff that I want to do and put words into these books. I can make paper. I can um, like the whole idea behind artist books is that the form and the design and the materials and the illustrations and the text and everything, it works together to make one bigger idea or a concept. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to make more than a poem and more than a painting and, you know, something like that. So um, at the end of the first year, I met with my advisor and I said, hey, these are all the classes I took this year. What major is that going to? And he's like, those are all electives, so nothing. <laughs> And I was like, well, crap, like, what, what should I do now? And because he was so great, like, all, you know, all the blessings to John Casey, the coolest guy ever. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he told me, you know, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, you know, oh, well, you screwed up. You should do this. Right. Um, and I said, well, I love making this paper. I love making these books. And I want to do that and share with people. And I don't want to be broke. How do I do that? He said, you should do that as your major. And I had no idea what he's talking about. It's like, we have a, a major here called integrative studies and you know what you want to do. You know exactly what you want to do. Nobody knows at 19 what they want to do, but you do. Mm -hmm. So take your four years and pick all the classes that you want and figure out how to make money doing what you love. Cause that's what you want to do. 
So after a bunch of trial and error, whatever, I tried to major in just creativity. He's like, no, that's too broad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they helped me refine it down. But I, it was a lot of work. I had, I had to justify why I couldn't do a double major. I had to um, have a plan for a thesis project and a thesis paper and um, like a special integrative studies course that I was going to design for myself senior year. I had to present all of this to a board and get it approved to do it. So, you know, by the beginning of my sophomore year, I knew every class I was going to take in all four years and I had to justify why every single one of them worked to cover a requirement and to go toward my major. And I took as many classes as I could take before I had to pay extra. I had like 18, 19 credits every semester. And right. Wow. Worked and myself like crazy. Uh, who was teaching paper making and the artist book class? Um, Gwen Dean was teaching those. Oh, okay. She is amazing. Amazing. She's got this website um, called Real Life Journal. Uh-huh. And she, she just does all these awesome drawings and paintings in these journals that she makes and takes pictures of them every single day. She's so great. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know her name, but I have never met her. Cool. She makes amazing artist books. <laughs> Yeah. So in this curriculum you developed, there was a business component too? Yeah. So I did entrepreneurial business and creative art integrated together at the same time. So instead of doing like a business major and an art major, which really have nothing to do with each other, I figured out like, this is the business of art. Right. The art that I like to do or the craft that I like to do marketable. Um, Because for the art majors, there was one business course. And it was senior year, second semester, and pretty much it told you how to catalog your artwork. And at the time, it was ages ago, so they're like, catalog your artwork on an index card in a box um, with like a photograph of each one. And then we keep track on the index card of which galleries you sent your stuff to. And they told them how to approach galleries. Um, But if you weren't going to sell your art in a gallery, there was nothing for you. And it's like, I, you know, I would love to do gallery art, but <laughs> like how many book artists and paper artists are actually making a living selling stuff in a gallery? One, maybe two. <laughs> like, so that in my research, that was definitely part of it. It was like, well, that's not the route that I want to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, cur- I'm curious um, where you think your, I'll call it wisdom, uh, came from uh, for, for knowing that um, you didn't want to be a starving artist and because I, I'm a couple decades older than you, I think. And I just, I had no clue that I needed to know, know how to make a living and learn those skills. I just kind of um, blind and I feel like you, did you see, you said your mom was a collage artist. Was she making yeah, a she was that a, or not making a Oh God, no, no, not at all. I don't think she ever sold a, a single piece of art in her whole life. Um, she knew nothing about it and she just did it because that's what she loved and it Mm -hmm. made her happy. And Mm -hmm. she would do these amazing rubber stamp collages on her checks. So every time she would write someone a check, it would be like a work of art, but, and she would just give them away all the time. And, you know, she did a little bit of this and a little bit of that and worked like six part-time jobs and never had enough money. And she ended up having to work all these jobs that weren't (gasps) what she loved. So, right. So you saw that, you saw that she was working, working doing hard. that yeah. commercially, but yeah. And you know that my dad also liked taking photographs, but he ended up like working in a commercial dark room for doing commercial work for somebody else. And he wasn't making good money doing that and wasn't getting to do the stuff that he loved about it. And he ended up going back to school to become a physics teacher, just totally went the other direction. But, um, neither of my parents figured out how to really do something that they were super passionate about and to make a living at it. So I knew that um, I didn't want to have a job my whole life that I was like, this is not what I love. And it's taking away from all the time that I have. And my mom passed away when I was 20 years old. So um, when I was partway through my college career, I was like, Oh my God, like life is so short. And if I don't, I know what I want to do. And if I know, I know if I wait until I'm ready to do it or I have money to do it or whatever, then I'm never going to do it. So I did it right away. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah. Then what happened? 
how did you get into what you're doing today? Um, well, when I was in college, you know, I did that as my whole major. Um, and my junior year was a crazy year. My mom passed away yeah, uh, on Friday the 13th. Mm. And then three months later, my dorm burnt to the ground with all of my stuff in it on her birthday. And oh then goodness. I ended up getting a bunch of insurance money from the school because all my stuff burnt up. Right. Um, and then they cut my financial aid <laughs> for my senior year of school. And I ended up having to pretty much take the insurance check and give it back to the school so I could continue to go to school. Because if I left junior, you know, at the end of junior year to try to do my senior year somewhere else, my weird major was never going to, those credits are right. not going to transfer. I'd have to go home and start all over again. So I was like, here's, here's the money, take it. Um, and I guess when some people would look at that as, oh, that's so horrible, you know, you didn't even get to, you know, use it that money to buy new stuff. Um, I totally looked at it like if my dorm had not burnt to the ground and I hadn't lost all of that stuff, I would not have been able to finish my degree doing what I love. I would not have been able to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, you couldn't take out tons and tons of student loans then the way you could now, you know, they only give you what you can actually pay back (laughs) at that point. Um, so if I didn't have that 10,000 bucks to give to pay to let my last bunch of school, then I don't, I would not be here because I would not have done all that. And, right. um, yeah, so kind of in the middle of all that, like figuring out how to see some of those things as, as things that happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really started thinking about how, you know, that I can help other people to do that with my work, um, to help them kind of not necessarily, you know, like look on the bright side, but kind of look on the bright side of things. Um, mm-hmm. And to see like, yes, this seems like something terrible that's happening right now, but you never know what might be able to happen in the future because that happened now. So um, I just love that when I was sharing poems and stories about all those experiences with other people, especially other people who had been, you know, through the same thing, losing all your stuff in a fire and still having to go back to school the next day. um, I, I helped a lot of other people to kind of change their perspective on what had happened. And I was like, you don't need any of that stuff. Like stuff just weighs you down. I mean, in order to survive in life, you really only need five things. You need food, you need shelter, you need water, you need someone that loves you and something that drives you and everything else is just cake, (laughs) you know, it's all extra. So I, I learned that like the way I can share with people, if I can change the way that someone has their perspective on the world, even just for a second, that can be a miracle for somebody, you know, that one little interaction with me might change somebody's whole life. And it's like that for everybody. Mm -hmm. So that's part of why I picked the name Papercraft Miracles, because I was like, with the art that I'm creating, with the work that I'm going to create now and in the future, I want to make the kind of things that people will walk by and see it and touch it and talk about it. And they'll remember it forever. Mm-hmm. And it will change them. So um, that's where I got the name, Papercraft Miracles, from. And uh, it's continued to be that ever since. Right. Yeah. And so I know you, you, uh, you moved back to Buffalo, I think, after college mm-hmm. or at some point, And you worked, you worked some jobs. And, but a couple years ago, you were able to go out on your own and but all along yes. that, all along, were you running Papercraft Miracles, or um, that- I, I was, I was running Papercraft Miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, I started it, you know, officially while I was in school. I was making guest books for my friends' weddings and photo albums and stuff like that. I wasn't doing a whole lot of paper because I didn't have any equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I graduated and moved back to Buffalo because my brother and I had inherited our house here. Um, mm-hmm. And there was this kind of crazy renaissance in Buffalo that was starting to happen then a what little year? bit. What year was that? 2004. Okay. Uh, when I came back and so many people were like, what do you mean you're going back to Buffalo? Isn't it just like snow and chicken wings? Isn't the worst? Like there's no jobs, there's no nothing, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I don't care. That's my home. 
So, yeah, I came back to Buffalo and I was just being super creative. I didn't have a day job. I was doing, you know, work for other people, making small invitations and um, doing music shows and poetry events and stuff like that and graphic design for people. And fast forward um, a couple years after that, um, and I met my husband, who is also an artist and a musician. And within about two weeks of us hanging out together, I was like, he's the one. So you should never leave again. Mm -hmm. And um, we pretty much had the same goals that we wanted to, um, you know, stay in Buffalo. We wanted to have kids, but we wanted to do it when we were ready. But we also wanted to own some commercial property that would give us space that we could make music together and that we could each have an art studio space somewhere I could make paper. And he was totally on board with that. And even though I had no equipment or anything, he was like, that's cool. Let's go, you know, get married and find a building. So we did that. We got married and uh, found a building two years after that. And this building that we have now is amazing. It's an old department store. Uh And it has like original tin ceilings that are like 14 feet high. It's amazing. It's it's just amazing. And we live upstairs. And, um, after we had our first son, I quit my job. I'd been editing photos for another company for about five years doing that, just kind of on the side. Mm-hmm. And um, I quit working for them to stay home. And as he said, do my book thing um, <laughs> and, and stay home with our kid. And Papercraft Miracles had kind of always been my fun side gig. It was like, if I make money, cool. If I made art, you know, and I didn't make money, that's also cool because I love mm-hmm. to do this. Um, And then all of a sudden, since I wasn't getting a paycheck, I was like, this is like my career. Like if if I don't work at this now and something happens to my husband, it's going to be me with this kid and I'll have nothing and no job and no money and no savings, no retirement. So um, I had to change the way that I looked at it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I ended up uh, rebranding the company and got a new logo and I'd been like, good at keeping the bookkeeping and the records and stuff like that. But, um, I just didn't, hadn't put a whole lot of effort into growing it. Cause I was like, it's just me by myself at home with my kid and I can't do tons. I didn't want to get more jobs than I could handle. I'd had customers for a long time already. This is like almost 10 years of doing it more than 10 years of, of doing it on the side. So I wanted to make sure I could still deliver quality products to all my customers. So, um, I finally had time to redo my website to be able to sell things online. Uh, and so I actually spent a lot of time the first several months after quitting my job doing that and doing tons of research about the best ways to use the internet to grow a business because I was like, that I can do from home with my kid. Right. I can't right. like, you know, go do trade shows and craft shows across the country, but I can do this and like grow it as a brand instead of, you know, just hopping from sale to sale. So I did that for a while. And a couple months into being home with my kid, I was up nursing him in the middle of the night and messing around on Instagram because I didn't want to fall asleep. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. still awake. Um, And I was searching for hashtag papermaking, just looking for what anybody else was doing. And I saw this post that was just a black square and it said papermaking equipment available Uh with an email address. Uh No, it was like three in the morning. No Uh one had liked it. There were no comments. There was nothing on it. I was like, are you kidding me? That never happens. I mean, I had a typed out like wish list from carriage house paper, like in a perfect world, once I have done enough work on the side and I was just like banking all the money that I was making selling stuff. I wasn't paying myself or anything. So I was like, once I have like 20,000 bucks in the bank, right. I'm going to buy all this equipment from carriage house brand new and be like, do it up. So I'd had this plan so wait, for a wait, long wait. time. So were you making paper? Were you already making paper just with a blender not, or a rudimentary? Really, you weren't not a whole lot. Like okay. you know, if somebody asked me to get something, I would order like pre-made pulp in a bucket from okay. Carriage House. Uh-huh. Bucket. I'd made a couple of batches here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little bit of recycled paper with a blender, like here and there, but it definitely wasn't something that I was offering. I was like, I don't have the right space or equipment to do this to scale and do it reliably for people. So. But, didn't people, want to offer it. but people, um, but at, at, knew you could do it. Like, like you said, you did a few jobs. I'm just curious about that. Yeah, I had, I mean, I made our wedding invitations and okay. then people saw them and they thought right. they were cool. Right. And like, 
I made paper with my bandmates and we made little packages and sold it with our merchandise when we would do, we made like recycled paper and sold it. Um, So we did a little bit on the side, but nothing major. And as soon as I saw them selling this equipment, I emailed them in the middle of the night. I was like, I've been trying to start a studio forever. I'm super pumped. I have the perfect space. You know, I'm really interested in any equipment that you have. What do you got? And Mm -hmm. she sends me back this list that was almost like side by side perfect of the list that I had had on my wall for years of all the equipment I wanted to buy. And uh, the prices were just so low. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like you're selling this critter beater for like 900 bucks. <laughs> right. I knew one of these is like three, 4,000 bucks without the motor. Like that's crazy. So um, I wrote her back and I was like, would you take 5,000 bucks for all of it? And she was like, I totally would. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, my husband flew to Indiana where all the stuff was. And uh-huh. I stayed with the baby because, you know, it made sense. So he yeah. flew there and rented a big truck and loaded all the equipment up and brought it back. And then yeah, installed the our sinks and the plumbing in the basement that I had been waiting to put stuff in and got it all set up. And as soon as it was set up, I was like, take this baby. I'm going to make paper. I hadn't made paper like with a beater. And since I was in school, like till, since like 2004, I went back in 2005 to teach a workshop there. So I did make some paper then, but that was the last time I gotten to use like an actual paper beater for a long time. Um, it was right. And this was 11. like 10 years later. Yeah. Like 10, 11 years yeah. later. Okay. Um, and as soon as I had my equipment, I set it up and I made wedding invitations for my best friend's wedding. I made all the paper for that. And then I made probably 10 or 12 batches that were all like totally different stuff. Um, cause I had all this great supplies, like oh, yeah. shimmer, shimmery stuff and tons of different hydrangeas that were dried in every single color. I mean, there was like ginormous totes of stuff that you could put into paper, dried right. stuff dried flowers and glitter and yarn and like chunks of mica, like just so much stuff that I could just be like in a paper maker wonderland and like <laughs> make with stuff and all this thing. I have, I have like a two foot by four foot box of ferns, like dried ferns just waiting to go into the paper. It's crazy. So I made like 10, 10, 12 different papers and I gave them all fun, funky names. So one of the first ones I made was the paper that's got the shredded up money in it. Um, and then I made one that, um, it's like gray pigment and it has the dark blue, na- uh, like navy blue hydrangeas in it. And it looked just like a blueberry muffin when I first pulled that first sheet, like texture and everything. I was like, oh my God, that looks like a muffin. So I named it that and it stuck and it's still our most popular paper that we make today. We make it all the time. Um, and as soon as I started doing craft shows and had that whole rack of handmade papers, people were like, this is crazy. What is this? Like, What do you uh-huh. do with it? Where uh-huh. does this come from? And I was telling people all about the whole story and people just bought right into it. And all of a sudden I started sharing all these stories about making paper on Instagram. Um, and I went from having about 30 followers on Instagram when I quit my job. Um, and within a year I had over a thousand followers right. on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm at like 4,200 followers on Instagram. So grown a lot since then. It's been really crazy. Hey listeners, let's take a little break here. And I want to tell you about the paper year, a new monthly planner that is now for sale. Hooray. You can find it at bit.ly slash 12 months of paper. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-W-E-L-V-E months of paper. I'm rebranding the 12 Months of Paper Calendar, a how-to book and calendar featuring a paper project every month, which I've produced for the past three years. The Paper Year is a wirebound book still featuring 12 paper projects by me and five guest artists, and this year there's an added feature, a planner page a month, which allows you to jot down notes and plans, sketch out your ideas and dreams, and paste in swatches of the paper you use to create your projects. Get one for yourself and shop early for the holidays. Again, you can find that at bit.ly slash 12 months of paper. Spell out the word 12. Now back to the show. You talk about these 12 or so papers. So 
Um, yeah, tell me about your products. Yeah, so um, at first I just made a bunch of stuff. It was all experiments, wanted to try different things. Um, and I kind of figured out which ones, which styles people tend to gravitate towards. And we, we're always making new stuff. So we have um, a full line of productivity tools. So we make uh, hand-bound bullet journals with the dot grid paper and little like paper clips like the jumbo ones for dividers and sets of magnets and stuff like that. Um, and then we do kind of like fancier hand-bound journals, Coptic-bound, uh, secret Belgian, and case-bound journals of different sizes. And then we also have a whole line of uh, plantable seed bombs that we make in all different shapes um, and make like really kind of intricate designs with them, which you know, is it necessary to plant seeds that way? No, but it's really fun. And people mm -hmm. see them and they're like, oh my God, what are these? Most people think that you throw them in the bath. They have no clue what they are. And uh -huh. I tell them all about them. Like these are made entirely of recycled paper and you know, you can, it's really easy. Plant a garden with your kids, you know, give this to somebody who knows nothing about gardening. All they have to do is put it in the dirt and water it and it's going to grow them a little garden and it's super easy. Um, and so we have a huge line of those and we actually just recently um i had been making paper flowers for a couple of years somebody asked me um it's partly how i add new products somebody asked me like can you make stuff like this i'm like yeah sure whatever and then i figure out how to do it mm -hmm. um so somebody asked me to make paper flowers um i think it was 2017 2016 2017 something like that um and so I started learning, you know, diving into how to do those, um, got a bunch of books and started doing it from there. And then. So this is different than the seed paper. I just want to make it clear. So these are paper flowers that you're making like bouquets and things. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah we had bouquets and arrangements and mm -hmm. flowers to put in your hair and mm -hmm. um, all decor type of things. Uh -huh. um, so we started doing a lot more of that. And just recently Leah Griffith, has this, she has a website where she, um, it's like a lifestyle craft website. She teaches people how to make all sorts of stuff and um, all of the patterns that are on there, if you're a member, you can use them, but they're for personal use only. Mm -hmm. um, and she has a, a really select group of crepe paper flower makers on her website um, who are in her flower circle. And those people in that group are officially allowed to sell flowers made from those patterns and to teach her branded workshops of teach other people how to make them um, and stuff like that. And so as soon as I saw that they had that flower circle as an option, I was like, that's great. Cause people keep asking me for these flowers all the time. Like I don't want to like take somebody's design. So I've been right. doing a lot of my own, but I was like, hers are amazing. And this would be so great to add into our skill set. So I applied for that and just found out uh, about last week that I am officially a, uh, member of the flower circle makers at leahgriffith.com so it's kind of a really elite group there's seven people in it in north america it's pretty cool cool congratulations and so how does that work like um did you get approved because did you send photos of what you've done or did you actually work with them for get training and is there a financial arrangement i'm just curious no you um you just fill out an application and you put your website and if you have social media and stuff like that i mean there is they want to have people as their makers who have a good social media following because mm -hmm. for them you know it's not going to hurt them any if you're making beautiful flowers and telling people about their website you know, right it's like free free advertising you can do this them. too yeah yeah. Um, and then teaching people how to do it. And I think their main thing is that they want to make sure that people are kind of aligned with the values of their company and that, you know, you're, will follow through on your agreement to make things with their patterns and then share them. Um, and so, I mean, you didn't have to submit any photos or anything uh -huh. they were going to look and see what you'd already been doing. Right. And I think they probably wanted to like look through and see like <laughs> who has been selling our stuff with our patterns that they were not supposed to. Right. Hopefully. Right. You know, I, I really tried to say like, look at this beautiful thing we made and not put prices on things for that mm -hmm. specific reason. You know, I was like, mm -hmm. I don't want someone to steal my work and I wouldn't want to do that to somebody else either. So um, it's just super exciting to like be able to be in that group of people. I mean, I have license to kind of use those patterns, which is great. And we, you know, have been building our own patterns on top of it and kind of combining them Right. Um, the different flowers and different arrangements and 
we're the only licensed <laughs> flower circle people in New York State. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Okay, so you said you um, you're doing craft shows, and so and you have two children now. Yes, yes, uh, <laughs> and they're both like <laughs> under five, right? Yeah, my oldest is four, and my okay. youngest is is about to be twenty two months, so almost. Okay, two. okay. Um, so yeah, I want to hear a little bit about the marketing, and it just sounds like I think. Um, when I was starting out making paper, I agree with you that people uh, don't know what things are and you have to educate them. But it sounds like when you educate them, they, they're really interested and they want to buy it. And I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily find that. So I'm excited to hear that. Um, and uh, yeah, so tell me a little bit about how you're generating your business. Um, I mean, the number one way that people find us is Google. Mm -hmm. Um, so making sure that the SEO on my website is as on brand as possible. I mean, I want high end luxury wedding clients mm -hmm. who care about the environment, who get the value of something that's unique and handmade. So I make sure that the words that are on my website are eco-friendly, wedding, luxury, handmade, specialized, unique, you know, and so that when people say handmade paper, eco-friendly, they show up at my website like from all over the right, place. Right. Um, and since we offer so many different things, I've had people from Africa say, Hey, can you make pop-up books? Cause I found you on Google. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's weird. Um, but yeah, updating your website often, um, Squarespace is great cause you can have, um, they have an Instagram block that you can add. So every time I post on Instagram, it adds a photo to my website immediately. Uh, uh -huh. So, pretty much my website gets updated every single day, even if I don't touch it. So it kind of keeps you up at the top when people are searching for things on Google. Cause they're like, this business is active. You know, right. people, they are doing something, they're reliable. Um, and they tend to show that to people more often than businesses that never touch their website. And it's always the same information. Um, so that's one thing for sure is like to take the time, spend yeah. some money, build a good website, get your SEO game straight take some classes on it. It's, it's worth every penny. Mm -hmm. It takes a little while. Um, you want to make sure that the way your business is listed everywhere that a business could be listed, that it's all the same information. It's got the same phone number, the same website, the same address, the same contact info. Um, and ideally the same logo type of thing. And you want it to be standardized as anywhere you could possibly search for it. So on the yellow pages, I'm listed there and, um, on Google and Bing and um, there's a whole a ton of different places that you can go and make sure that they're, they're listed the same way. And it's a lot of work to do that up front, but within like six months, all of a sudden your business has this credibility through Google and you just start coming up at the top of the list, which is cool. Um, so right. I did that. So and then your internet business versus craft fairs. Is there, um, I don't, I don't do a lot of craft shows okay so you're mostly online yeah i mean it's i have like a love-hate relationship with craft shows because mm -hmm. they're great i love interacting with people and i do sell things when i go there but there is certainly a difference between like craft shows and like craft shows you know what i mean like if it's in a church basement or a vfw right. that my people are not there like right. my my audience is not there. They will show up at the table and say, Oh, you know, they'll pick up a hand bound journal and say, Oh, I saw these at Barnes and Noble. I'm like, no, you didn't. Right. Right. <laughs> and no, you didn't. You know, those people are not going to buy handmade paper for me because they don't get it, you know, and that's right. fine. They're, they're just not my customers. So um, it's taken me a while to kind of weed out the type of things that work really well for me. So I tend to just do a couple of shows. We have a really amazing book art center here mm -hmm. and they do, um, two shows a year. They have a July show called book fest. That's really, really fun. And they do all these outdoor activities for people that and the whole event is all free and stuff like that. So I've been there and that is a good show for me. And then, um, they have another Christmas show. That's like a two day thing right before Christmas, their last minute panic sale. Um, and I've done that for years and that's always really, my people are at the book art center, you know, even people who appreciate <laughs> the papery yeah, things right, are going to be right. Right. And then we have um, one other event that I always do. It's called Women's Gifts. And it's 
all women. There's a hundred vendors. They're all local and everything that you sell there is handmade. So, um, and it's, they always do it on small business Saturday, right after black Friday. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people who are like, I want to buy things that are made by people. I know I want to stay local. I want to support women owned businesses and they're ready to shop on that day. So, um, I just make sure that like the values of the show are in alignment with my business. Like, you know, I've tried to do a bunch of different stuff and and most of the smaller shows are, you know, um, like I said, anything that's like kind of out of the way. If somebody is selling pampered chef, that's not my show. You know, like my my people are not going to be there. So. Um, Right. Right. It's about finding. Yeah. Your audience. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I don't really, I, I think I have an Etsy page and it's been on vacation for like three, four years. Um, I don't really put anything on there as far as selling online because everything we do is so specialized that it's just not worth my effort to make a whole listing and do that special at keywords and SEO on Etsy and A, to list it there. Um, right. If there's only going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I kind of find it boring to make like, 700 of the same thing and just sell that one thing over and over again. So I don't really like to do that. So, um, for one-off things or whatever, it's fairly easy for me to just snap a picture in our, we have a little photo set up in the studio so we can take our own pictures and just pop them on the website, write a couple words and put it up there. You know, it's free for me to list as many items as I want to on my website because I'm already paying for it. So I just put it there. Yeah. Yeah. I found the same thing. I did Etsy for a little while and then I was just like, no, I could just do it on my site and control it more and not pay yeah. the extra fees. Um, exactly. I mean, so, if I was doing like stock wedding designs and you could buy the design and then print it yourself or whatever. I, I mean, we don't even do that. I mean, when people come to do a consultation with us for a wedding, I say, here's some samples of things that we made, but every single one of these is made directly for that client and nobody else has that design. I guess if you really want that exact one, you can buy it. But um, most of our customers come in and say, they have an idea of what they want and they say, Ooh, that looks beautiful, but I want that with this color paper or a different font, or I like this part of that one and that part of that one. And, and then we make something new for them too and put it all together specialty. So. so are these people coming in or are you doing these consultations online or a combination? Uh, most of the people that we've been doing like larger wedding orders for come in. Um, we have a lot of local customers and people mm-hmm. kind of have started to know us for that locally for sure. Um, so we do consultations here in the studio. I can do them online, but it's just because everything we do is so tactile. If you can't, right. it's a little bit tricky, but um, I'm totally willing to do them online. If there's, you know, out of town people who want to, to do that, they can, you know, book the time and we'll set it up like this on zoom and I can hold stuff up in the camera. <laughs> and say, what do you think? Is, yeah. Yeah. More like this or more like this? No, I was just curious. So you, you must have some kind of sample book for people to look through when they come in and. So sample sort of, <laughs> yeah. sort of, um, I have, it's kind of like a little stack of samples. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I didn't want to bind them in a book. I wanted people to be able to hold them and touch them. And mm-hmm. then I have metal board with magnets on it that I have up. We have a storefront window for our studio mm-hmm. space and I have it um, up in the window. And so you can take the magnets off and take the invites off of it and touch them and look at the back and all that kind of stuff. So um, most of the samples are up on there. And then I have a few others that we try to keep out of the sun um, to show to people, but we've just, we've been working with a new letterpress printer and getting some new samples printed from them too. So we're always kind of adding some samples to our, we have a trunk that's in front of the couch of where we meet with people. And I say, here's all the samples and I open up the trunk. So. Okay, cool. Um, and let's talk about a little bit about the eco-friendly aspect. Like what, um, I know you do a lot of recycling and it, are your base pulps recycled? Are you purchasing pulp or? Um, we kind of do both. I try to do a mixture of both unless somebody specifically just only wants recycled paper because for a lot of the applications, like if somebody wants stationary with envelopes, like recycled paper is not going to hold up to folding it very well because the fibers are so short by the time they've been recycled. And mm-hmm. a lot of the paper we recycle has already been recycled at least once. So they're like really, really short. Right. Um, so I try to do a mixture of like, um, Abaca or cotton rag with recycled materials. 
Um, but then we also do, we do a lot of denim pulp. So we buy that by the pound. So it's technically is recycled fabric. Same thing with the cotton mm -hmm. rag. Um, and then for like, you know, raw virgin pulps, we have Abaca and um, bamboo and Kanaf and Kozo. Um, we do a lot of work with, with those mainly. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of, of Abaca and a lot of Kozo. The Kozo is just so versatile. You can do so many things with it. It's so fun. Yeah. And are you processing the Kozo by hand? Um, I cleaner. usually, I usually will buy it from carriage house, um, by the half pound, um, on, it's already cooked and it's already bleached and it's frozen. Okay. Um, uh, well, I freeze it and keep it in the freezer so I can use it whenever I want to. Uh -huh. Um, only because I don't really have a good year round setup for cooking fibers in our, our building. Cause we don't have any good vented area and we live upstairs. So I'm not going to like <laughs> cook with soda ash right. down here. It's going to stink up the whole building. Yeah. Um, so sometimes we do cook fibers outside in the summer, but I wanted to be able to have things that I could offer people year round. And I was like, Oh, can't get Kozo in that time. Cause I have to cook it. Um, I have a couple of paper maker friends locally who do cook fiber. So sometimes if I'm like, Oh, I really need like a bunch of Kozo and I don't want it to be bleached or whatever, they'll, they'll cook it and I'll just take it from them. And, throw it in the beater but we do all different other kinds of um eco-friendly things our whole building is solar powered we put solar panels on the building at the end of 2016 and we produce uh 85 to 90 percent of the electricity we use in the whole building not just our studio wow. but it's our studio yeah. uh, we have the studio we have two commercial tenants and we live upstairs so it's it's eight thousand square foot building plus the 5,000 square feet in the basement and it has central air in the whole building and we produce almost wow. everything that we use in the whole building in wow. Buffalo. People are like, isn't it like snowy there and gross <laughs> all the time? Like it's really not. It's very sunny. Yeah. Um, so we have that and then we have a solar hot water system that's been in the building since we bought it. So um, all, we have a, an on-demand hot water heater that'll bring it up to the temperature that we want to use it at but most of the time in the summer like the temperature it comes in off the heater on the roof is hotter than you'd want it to be right so all of that all of that energy is saved um, by doing that and we have obviously all the recycled materials that we make our products out of um and then packaging wise for all of our our retail products we do any only packaging that's easily recyclable um, and anything that is like looks like clear plastic or cellophane we only do the compostable corn-based cello uh, we source a lot of the like little containers for the seed bombs that we sell. We get those from like restaurant supply companies because nobody else is making compostable um, plastic oh, yeah. in shapes like that yet. So cool. we, we do like the cellophanes for, for our cards and stationary sets and stuff like that. It's all compostable. Or you can just toss it in the recycle bin, like stuff that's easy to recycle cardboard packaging and stuff like that. So we do all of those things. Yeah. Um, and do you have employees? Yes, I, I do have one employee. Her name is Becky, and she is really awesome. Um, she, I won a, a small business grant last summer. Through oh, yeah, program I want to talk about it, that. What is it called? Yeah, it's, so they started this whole program called Ignite Buffalo. We won this Ignite Buffalo grant, and it was um, sponsored between a partnership with this organization called 43 North and with Facebook. And Facebook put up the a million dollars for these grants um, to go to existing businesses in Buffalo. And they had three grants of $100,000, four grants of $50,000, and 20 grants of $25,000 to give out to these 27 wow. businesses. And the application process was really fun. And they wanted everyone to make um, a little video talking about how if you won some of this money, how it would change your company. They wanted to only give it to companies that would be drastically changed by this amount of money. Um, and ideally that they would use it to affect change in the community somehow to help out underprivileged populations and to create jobs and to hire people. Mm -hmm. So um, in mine, I was like, I'm at home with my kids. Uh, I can only do so much work on this business by myself, but it's really super fun. And the more people hear about what I do, people want to buy my stuff. But I, you know, the same thing, I have all these clients and I don't want to take on more work than I can handle. I don't want to tell someone I can do your wedding invitations and then not have time to do them. Right. Um, 
So I was like, I need to be able to hire somebody, but I'm not going to take out a loan to hire an employee because that's stupid. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's just not, it doesn't make financial sense. Um, and so of the almost 500 people who applied for this grant, um, I got picked to be in the top 50 where you had to go and it was kind of like Shark Tank and you they oh, had yeah. all 50 companies go do their pitch all in a row on the uh-huh. same day. Here's your time. You get two minutes to pitch and three minutes or five minutes of questions afterwards. Mm-hmm. And the people who were judging could ask any question in the book. So you had to be ready like they are at Shark Tank. It was kind of crazy. Um, and we got about one week notice from when, you know, they told us that we were in the top 50 to mm-hmm. make a PowerPoint presentation that was two minutes long and to know what we were going to do and be ready to do it. Here's your time. You have to show up. Um, and it, when I was applying for that grant, it said like, you have to be willing to go and pitch your business in person. And because what we do is so weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the main, the main selling point of what we do is me. Like I get so excited about it. It's so obvious that like, I, I love to do this. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And, as soon as I was filling out this application, I was like, just get me in that room. I just need to get in that room and I'm going to sell the crap out of this business, you know? So, um, as soon as I went to go do my pitch, I was on point. I I had a friend of mine who'd been helping me, Gina. She was amazing. Like Uh she worked for me for a little while too. Um, and she came with me and she had my stack of papers. So when I started talking to them and starting my pitch, she handed out the papers. So the whole Uh time I am, I actually made little, um, papers that were cut out in a puzzle piece shape that I had hand stamped the word growth on them, little seed papers. Um, and so she handed one of those to each person and they're holding it in their hand the whole time, this little puzzle piece. And they didn't get like why it was a puzzle piece. And my whole two minute pitch was like, I've been building this for a long time. I've been putting in one piece at a time. I did this. I did this. I got equipment. I built this new website. I, you know, revamped the studio. I moved into a new big studio space. We did this, we did this, but the last piece. And as I was doing my pitch, like each piece of the puzzle kind of showed up on the screen whenever I'd click the little clicky thing. Yeah. And I got to the end and the piece in the middle was missing and it was the same shape as the piece they were holding in their hand. And I was like, growth is the thing that's missing. Like with your help, we're going to build something awesome. And like they were... Yeah, I then they started asking me all these questions. They're like, "Where do you get your clients?" And you know, "Who are your clients?" I'm like, "Who's not my client? Like, everyone is my client. I sell to artists. I sell, you know, to people who are getting married. I sell sell to people who are having parties. You know, all that kind of stuff." So, um, they so just you got so super- so you got a twenty five thousand dollar grant. I did get a twenty five thousand dollar grant. It was super awesome. And it was mainly to hire an assistant. Yeah, was it for so, other so- things too? Um, they weren't real specific about what uh-huh. I had, had to do with it, but um, I knew that I needed to hire somebody. I was like, I'm going to spend the bulk of this money on paying some for someone for a year and having them help me to do like marketing and outreach. Um, because I was like, at this point, you know, that's the one thing that, um, you know, as soon as people hear about us, they want to buy stuff. So, or they know someone who wants to buy stuff. So um, as like, I got the brand straight, I got that set. So I spent some of the money. Um, on hiring an employee and paying employee and learning how to be a boss and like getting all that stuff in a row and workman's comp insurance and all that kind of stuff. Um, Paying, learning how to do payroll, all that. Um, So I did that. And then I, we bought some new equipment. We bought um, a new cricket machine that can cut crepe paper and handmade Mm. paper, which is awesome. So we can actually do like fine detail work on the paper that we make because it's, as you know, cutting handmade paper is really difficult. Um, unless you're just trying to cut it in a straight line. <laughs> right, right. Um, so we invested in that and we bought some other new equipment and a bunch of supplies, like tons of different crepe paper for doing the flowers that we do, um, some photo equipment and things like that. And then I did spend a good chunk of the money on a business coach. Um, uh-huh. And it seemed like a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. to to make that payment, I was like, whoo, buddy, that's a lot of the money I had in the bank. But hands down, it was worth every single penny. And the having a business coach is so worthwhile as long as they're a good coach. You know, I mean, yeah. I, the coach that I hired, um, her company is called Powerhouse Money, Power House. She uh-huh. only coaches women. Um, she does money coaching and she does business coaching and 
she's just on point. And because I'm so artsy and I like all the choices and all the options and I tend to go down the rabbit hole, you know, it's like whenever we're going to, I come up with a new idea for a product and I'm like, Ooh, let's do that. And I think of like 700,000 new things to do. And I would tell her about it. And she's like, is that your target market? Are those the people you want to sell to? Or is that just something fun you want to make? And I was like, well, it's not really the target market. She's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Those are not your people. You know, she's like, if you want to be able to support your, your family with this business, your, your target market is where you got to go and you need to stay focused on that. And I would say, Oh, what about this fun thing? And she's like, get out of the rabbit hole. Like stop doing that. Um, and she, her whole wheelhouse is just totally outside of mine because she's not artsy at all. She's my client base. You know what I mean? She's that person. Right. I need, I need a very special fancy gift for someone and I have no idea how to get that or where to get that or anything like that. And she's buying fancy gifts from me. So you know, to have her say, like, as your client, this is what I need to see when I get on your website. I need it to be really easy to click right. on this button to give you money. I need pre-made things like that, you know, make a flower arrangement with a message on it. Bing, hundred bucks, sell it. You know, like, she's was really good at helping me to kind of get out of my head and stay really focused. Um, and she just had so many good ideas of ways to market what I was doing and places to reach out and ways to do market research and it was worth every single penny working with her for six months. So I, I, I totally agree. I've worked with a business coach also. And, um, the one I've worked with has a specialty of working with artists, which helped cool. was good, but yeah, we need more of that interaction between, because I totally get going down the rabbit hole and yeah, someone has to pull me out because <laughs> it's not realistic. Um, yeah, I know. I was like, so that's great to hear. <laughs> we could do those. We could make lampshades, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> Reel it <Yeah>. in. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to wind up, but tell me about uh, a project that's on the docket right now. Um, well, right now we have um, a partnership that we just set up with a local wedding vendor. They have, um, they rent tents and tables and linens and mm-hmm. dishes and stuff like that. Um, and they have a whole showroom full of, you know, table setups, but they had been buying fresh flowers to put on all their tables. So once a week, they're spending several hundred dollars on flowers to decorate their showroom and they kept up to go pick out the dead flowers, whatever. And it wasn't worthwhile for them. So I I met the, the manager at, um, like a mingle event with other wedding vendors and I sent, um, I sent an email out. I was like, Hey, anybody down to collaborate? We're all about it. And Mm -hmm. she's like, that would be so great if you could like make some flowers to put Mm -hmm. on our tables that we could keep here. And you know, I'll, if you do, if you make the flowers and bring them here, I'll put your brochures on our counter and give them to everybody who comes in here. So we, we went a little crazy and that's part (laughs) of the reason we started making a lot of these crepe paper flowers. Cause I was like, Oh my God, the sky is the limit. I got to go down the rabbit hole for a reason, you know? Yeah. Let's learn how to make, as many different kinds of flowers as we want because we wanted to show this wide variety um, like free advertising. So mm-hmm. when people come into their showroom, every single table has a totally different arrangement. It's all different colors. It's different flowers, different materials. So we did um, the arrangements. We did table numbers. We did place cards. We did menus that all match each setup. So mm-hmm. when people come into their store, they say, oh, that table is so beautiful. I want to rent that for my wedding, all of it. And they say, oh, well, we do the tents and the tables. They do all the other stuff. Here's their uh, info. Right, um, right. They, are, um, they also do all the bridal shows, which for me is not sustainable. They're like $1,000 a piece and it's like five hours. I'm like, I can't do that. Like, right, right. I don't have money for that at this point someday, but not right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and so she's like, well, we got all these, we're going to bring our table setups, different colors, you know, each show we bring different colors and have a different season or whatever. So if you make flowers to go with the, the tables that we're bringing, we'll bring your flowers and your brochures and you'll have a presence at this bridal show without having to really do anything at the show or pay to be in it. So we just finished making um, the setups for the show this next Sunday and it's super, super exciting. We made this huge, amazing paper greenery garland that's covered in these David Austin roses. Oh my God. It looks so real. It looks so real. And it's not, I just love it. 
Um, so we've been doing a lot, a lot of flowers lately, but I have, uh, have potential to do uh, a, a glamping tent, some decor for like a fancy luxury uh-huh. over the top glamping tent in September. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. we'll see what, we'll see what comes of that. It's be pretty fun. Right. So those and are just the kind of things that are on deck right now. Yeah. And tell me what kind of papers you're using for those flowers. Is it a sermon um, or is it all crepe or? We use, um, it depends on what kind of flowers they are. Mostly we've been doing crepe paper for a lot of them. Um, and then in between them, sometimes we'll, we'll do like the metallic frosted, kind of like the star dream. Oh yeah. Metallics papers. Um, for doing some of the, the hardier flowers or things that we don't want to get crushed because the crepe paper does get kind of smushed easily depending on the, the designs of them. And is the crepe, uh, the crepe paper like the old fashioned crepe paper rolls or this Italian crepe paper or something? It's like the, it, it's um, mainly we've been using the Leah Griffith brand crepe paper, uh-huh. um, which comes from a company in Germany and it's sure. really, really beautiful. Um, they have like a, they have a, extra fine version, a heavy crepe that has like 250% stretch to it. Um, and then they also do double-sided, uh, that really kind of looks like velvety. It's really beautiful. Um, and then we also, we use some of, some of the Italian crepe papers too. So we're, okay. we're branching out. A little and I'm bit, just but. a paper nerd. So the German ones, does that come in big sizes? You can get like, Maybe I think they're the rolls are like 19 inches long and they're like or 19 inches high and like 10 feet yeah. long, I think. Right. Um, but the Italian ones come in a much bigger roll, it's a 19 inches high, but it's like an eight foot roll, right? Um, uh, so you know, cool. Cool. heavy crepe is all shorter rolls, they're only about 10 inches high, um, and they don't go as far. But they she has so many beautiful colors to work with, it's just so much fun. There's yeah. You know, when you, you make a flower out of paper, like people have no idea that it's not real until they're like touching it. They're like, oh right. my God, I thought that was a real flower. What? You know? Yeah. And then, you know, price wise, they're pretty comparable to buying fresh flowers for an event, like working with a florist. And so mm-hmm. it's like you can buy fresh flowers and they'll be dead in a day, or you can buy these and take them home and decorate your house or whatever, you know, keep them forever as long as you don't, you know, get them yeah. rained on or something. So yeah, right, right. The main thing we're doing now and uh, celebrating getting picked to be in this 40 under 40 from stationery and gifts. That's been really exciting. So I'm waiting for that magazine to show up on my door next month. So yeah, that's our. Yeah. So it seems like stationery and gifts are hot, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I heard, I heard John Tesh talking about him on his radio (laughs) show. So, you know, (laughs) Yeah. If John Tesh was talking about it, it's getting to be pretty mainstream, you know, like having something unique and communicating with people in a way that's not an email or a text message. Um, right. People are really, really starving for that. Yeah. And this whole digital age. And when I first started doing this, you know, Facebook was not a thing mm-hmm. at all when I started this business and you could, there was no e-commerce in 2003 that was easily right. accessible for people. It just wasn't a thing. So when I first started this, so many people are like, oh my God, why are you even making journals? People are going to only write on live journal forever, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just really, you know, you know, you know, blogging is the future. No one's going to write letters ever again and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you just wait, it's coming back around because people, you just can't communicate energy from one person to another in the same way digitally like podcasts are awesome i love listening to podcasts because you can actually hear the people's voices in a way that it's right you hear it and absorb it differently than if it was a tv show you know mm-hmm. but there's just something about two people sitting face to face talking to each other holding things in their hands and passing them back and forth and like the way that the energy between people exchanges that way like it sounds all whatever hippy dippy you know but it's it's real. And people are really starving for that to have like a unique way to connect with people face to face and to kind of unplug people like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jana, thanks for reminding people that they need that. And yeah. uh, where can we find you online? Um, so our website is papercraftmiracles.com. It's really easy to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, same thing on Instagram, papercraftmiracles. 
and on Facebook. <laughs> Super easy. Um, we don't do a whole lot on Twitter, but it's on there as Paper Miracle because it was had to be shorter. Yeah. So, um, and we're on Pinterest too. We've got lots of stuff on Pinterest, and you can you can just search for. I think it's also Paper Miracle on on, on Pinterest. Yeah, and I'll post some images of some of your products on the podcast webpage too. So thanks so much for coming on. It's been super exciting to talk to you. I mean, your book was my textbook in college. So I'm so so glad. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Bye now. This wraps up our episode. And if you enjoyed it, I invite you to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And it would be awesome if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps others find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Paper Talk, where you can read the show notes, subscribe to this series, listen to other episodes, and access all of the archived shows. Talk to you soon.